Hey everyone, I'm your host Lisa and welcome to Stereotherapy. This podcast shows the importance of music and mental health, using it as an outlet and how we have personally used it, music as a safety net. This podcast will explore not only music and how we've used it, but also how it's impacted others. We will interview artists, therapists, and get stories from you. What is your stereotherapy? Hey guys, I'm Jessica. Welcome back. And if you missed any of our previous episodes, head to stereotherapypod.com to catch up. This episode, we're taking it back to the 90s. So Lisa, I know we've talked before about some of your musical influences, and we were both pretty young in the early 90s, and we grew up with all of the things that happened during that time, and it was pretty blatant that the world was changing around mental health now that we can look back at it as adults. I think the most shocking thing from the 90s was when um, frontman of Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, was found dead in his home. And I know that you were a fan during that time. So what was that period of time like for you? That period, it was so weird because I'm like, even thinking back, I was young. So it's like, I had no idea. And I'm never like, I always tell people to like, I do not paint myself as that like, yeah, like I was this super fan at that age. What? <laughs> yeah, you were I, a super fan at seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I remember, like, you know, just music in general was in my house. And, you know, Nirvana was one of those bands in my house. But it was honestly, it was MTV. And MTV was always like somewhat, you know, on the TV here flipping through. But I yeah. remember that seeing that candlelight vigil and MTV just breaking away and like it was the big story and that visually is very impactful I I would say on a seven-year-old brain yeah like it was like what's going on and like you know all the news stations are just talking about it and like and just seeing fans gather and like crying and Mm -hmm. I was just like you know what is going on like how can they be so sad they didn't know him. They don't know this person. It's a singer. And then, you know, you know, looking into it, it was was pictures are all over. And I was like, you know, wait, you know, my parents, I know they have the nevermind. I mean, that album sticks out like that cover is so iconic. Like you can't miss that cover. And and during that Mm -hmm. time you couldn't, and it was, wow. Okay. I'm going to listen to it and like dive in and, you know, and that's why I consider like the nineties too, is just like, as much as I liked other music, I just feel like I was always kind of meant to go that alternative route because mm-hmm. once I found Nirvana, it was like, whoa, okay. Uh, there's guitars, there's yelling, there's like a grit to it. There's, um, it's not like perfect sounding. It's, there's weird sounds in it. Like, what is this? And it was just kind of like, wow, like music can impact people that much. And I had, I had no idea. I mean, like I said, I was young. I mean, what kids bop or I don't even know what I was (laughs) otherwise, probably whatever was in the car for my parents. Like, you know, there was like meatloaf, Pearl Jam, like what what else? Like Alanis Morissette, like stuff like that. Like my parents are like, uh, you know, Bob Seger, any of that stuff. Like (laughs) that was, that was my mom and dad. So it was like, I was always around it, but like just being around even that young and seeing the impactfulness of Kurt Cobain. And then like, as I grew older too, like really into it and, and 
looking at everything they did because I clearly had no clue. And I mean, I still listen to them to this day and it's like, wow, like, I wonder like what they would have sounded like today, like had Kurt still been, been here. And it, it just really was like such a shock to like, I think everyone that someone at that high level and fame and just like seemingly had it all. Yeah. Um, and I think him specifically, um, it's almost weird to say this. It's like he's more famous now than what he would have been possibly if he would have survived. You yeah. Know? And it's, it's crazy like that. And like, uh, I know, you know, like Kurt always like in interviews would say, you know, they didn't deem themselves as, you know, as popular as they were, or like, mm -hmm. you know, hearing like Madonna selling tickets for so much money at the time and him being like, Madonna sells tickets for what? Like we would never. And like, it's weird because it's like, well, Kurt, if you were around, you know, if you could only see yeah. how things are like, and I think too, like from my perspective and again, Nirvana, you know, old fans don't come for me. Um, <laughs> but I feel like they also didn't really view themselves as like, you know, as popular as they were either. Like they really were just like, we are here and we're doing our thing. And, you know, if people listen, they listen. If they come along, they do. And almost like anti-famous, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think they also showed what it also really showed is that whether it's depression, anxiety, um, bipolar, any mental illness, it doesn't discriminate, you know, it, mm -hmm. whether you're famous, whether you are you and I, whether just whoever you are, it's not going to discriminate and they can yeah. hate you. And it, it just was like, whoa, like I had no idea what that meant. And I always would be like, oh, you know, he passed away. It wasn't until like later I put, I mean, cause again, I'm seven, everybody, but like, yeah. <laughs> like not understanding. And, um, but it was just, it was so impactful. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's like, it's wild. Like, I mean, um, it, it just says, I have so many memories of so many songs as well, like during that time too. And it's like, it's, when you look back at mental health, you've got, you know, uh, even one of my favorite songs too, you know, Jumper by Third Eye Blind. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea the dark subject matter of it. Um, loved Third Eye Blind, loved that self-title. I think it's one of the best um, albums to come out of that era. I still listen yeah. to it, love it. But like, you know, Stephen Jenkins was going around you know, saying how it's was something he put it in a song that had such a melody to it, but, you know, maybe they normally wouldn't be into what it was about. And he detailed that it was, it was about somebody that ended up jumping off of a bridge and taking their own life and um, because they were gay. And I had, oh, wow. I had no idea that it was about it. And he felt that because they put it in such a way, more people maybe paid attention to it because maybe at that time in the nineties, people kind of like turned their cheek, you know, yeah. to like that. And I mean, I think so in a way too, a lot of people did because, you know, 
it just, it was a different time. You didn't really talk about it. Um, right. Especially, you know, for gay people in the nineties, that was something that was taboo. Um, and even in like the military, there was still that don't ask, don't tell, like all that stuff. So I think that's actually a pretty interesting insight to that song because like previous songs we talked about before, they kind of covered it with, um, I guess, a more poppy melody. Like it didn't feel as dark until you really start to dig into it. No. And I was like, wow, like that's, it's a smart way to do it. But it's also like, wow, I was so young, like jumping up and down singing this song. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing he, he said too, Stephen Jenkins was saying like, you know, when people sing that part, like, you know, I would understand and they yell it. And he's almost like, it's like, it's like a cathartic thing for everybody. Like whatever it means to them that yeah. somebody understands. And I was like, yeah. That's cause beautiful. every time, That's beautiful. <laughs> like every time I'm like, every time I do hear that, I do always yell that part. Like, I mean, I get what he's saying. Like, and it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's like, and then, you know, there's the other part of it too. Like, um, even like, you know, Trent Reznor has talked mm-hmm. about, um, you know, the album, The Downward Spiral and how now granted, I am not, again, don't come for me. I mean, I love my Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. Was I a fan of The Downward Spiral when it came out? No, I was, again, look at how young I was in the nineties, but you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, themes to it. And one of it is suicide. And now, years later Trent has said how you know there was a degree of like irresponsibility or like danger and some of this extreme material of the Mm -hmm. record and how maybe it should have a trigger warning and you know because it it has suggestive suicide in it if you listen to it and I mean he and like how you know, but it also does express the damage of in, in the impact suicide can have. But I mean, I think it was interesting that like years later, he's like, you know what? <laughs> I mean, although he was going through that and created this, there was some responsibility there to yeah. be like, like you know, for growth, like he learned something from it and realizes that he wouldn't do it the same. Right. That's all you can ask for from a human. No. And the fact that he, you know, has always been open with his own depression. I know he left social media for a little bit too, um, because, you know, it was just too much. And I mean, I don't blame him either. And it's interesting. These nineties artists leave social media a little bit. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I got to say, sometimes I think the same thing. It's too much. Yeah. For sure. It's wild. I mean, uh, do you have any memories of songs that you're, you can think of? I definitely do. But um, before I get into that, I did want to just kind of bring up some stats um, that I found on how suicide ranks in the United States. It's usually in the top 15 causes of death, which, I mean, it makes sense, but it's also shocking to think that that could be right up there with like cancer, you know, Mm -hmm. and since 1999, the suicide rate has climbed 35%. So if you compare like breast cancer and um, suicide prevention, 
breast cancer only killed a few more thousand people. Um, and this is based off some numbers in um, 2017. Um, but they had $689 million spent on research and programs versus $103 million spent on suicide prevention. So a study that was published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health found that you know, something as simple as increasing the minimum wage could reduce the suicide rate among workers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those are things we should be thinking about as we continue forward as a society and, and trying to take the load off of people and, and spread a little bit more understanding. And I, I mean, obviously, we know that there has been huge growth in um, suicide prevention and resources. So if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, definitely reach out. Um, You can dial 988 Suicide and Crisis Hotline or go to lifeline.org or there's um, 800-273-TALK and you can call that and chat online as well through them. So I just wanted to make sure that if anybody was looking for resources, we have that for them too. Yeah, I think that's so important to talk about the quality of life or or the just pressures or just life in general does, and your environment does contribute to your mental health. And Mm -hmm. it's crazy to hear that, but it's also like, it's such a reality. So I'm glad that you know, I hope that people hear those stats and, you know, maybe it makes you check in on people that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's their environment or they lost their job or they're just going through any tough time, reach out and be there. And that's, it's, it's just so true. And I think it's so overlooked is how yeah. like our lives and what contributes to our mental health. And as humans, a lot of us have empathy for each other. So why not share that? And um, for me, I think one of my earliest memories of a song in the 90s um, that always stuck with me is the tragic ending of um, the lead singer of Blind Melon's Mm -hmm. life. Um, We all know Blind Melon from the Bumblebee Girl music video. And during that time, that song was huge. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing it or seeing that video. (laughs) So it was definitely a a shock um, when Shannon Hoon died in 1995 of a drug overdose. And, you know, the list goes on of musicians that are haunted by their demons and and some do succumb to taking their own life for accidental overdoses. And that is still happening today. It has not gone away. So... It is amazing to go back and look at those 90s influences of mental health and see how they started to slowly trickle into popular music. Um, Everything from like um, Suicidal Thoughts by Biggie Small to Adam Song by Blink-182. Like you find that that transcends all the genres and everyone is affected by mental struggles. So um, Lisa, you... Well, we were both people that rely heavily on music to help us cope personally, but is there any songs that were especially impactful to you growing up in the 90s? You know, there, there's a couple, and they're, they're actually, they're 
they couldn't be further from each other as well. <laughs> it's like if people yeah. want to know how my brain is like that. Um, but one uh, for sure um, that sticks out to me forever and ever, and then I'll speak of my my love, Trent Reznor, again, of the mm -hmm. video for Closer. Um, when I was young, because MTV back in the day, played those late night um you know oh, videos yeah. they, they were late <laughs> because and, and I got why but I just remember yeah. this image of like Trent Reznor and his tongue against the the model in the video whatever, and, <laughs> and I was like what the hell is this and like what is he talking about like I should not be listening to this right now but like I can't look away from it mm -hmm. and then then for years I didn't listen to them because I'm young still and I think it was in high school where I was like oh wait that's that video I saw. Oh, yeah. okay. And then, oh, Trent Reznor is like this god who now like does scores for movies and like it's <laughs> crazy. But like, again, no business. But like, I think that also shows like I loved, I don't know, like that danger of like, oh, I'm going to get caught. Like I'm watching this like late yeah. at night and I have to watch this. Um, and then the Smashing Pumpkins, because um, uh -huh. especially the song Today, Mm -hmm. um but like melancholy and the infinite sadness like that record again my parents credit to them um <laughs> mainly my mom <laughs> mm -hmm. but you know that was always in the house and I was such a big fan and you know being young it was like oh what is the sound like this is this is just everything like I'm listening to the like you know uh the smashing pumpkins and just into them and I later on figured out that today was actually written when Billy Corgan was in like this really dark place. And mm -hmm. um, I, you've never suspected because, you know, it's talking about, you know, how today is the greatest. Uh, yeah. And it's like, what? And it was, you know, really when it was like during the success of Nevermind and 10 by Pearl Jam and, you know, he had that kind of like, oh, I need to create something as big as that had mm -hmm. such a negative impact on his mental health at the time. And, you know, it was like, he was feeling really suicidal during that. And just, you know, he thought it would be funny to write a song that said today is the greatest day of your life because it can't <laughs> get any worse. And like hearing that is like, I love that song and I love the Smashing Pumpkins, but like looking back now, it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, that, how was that written during such a dark time? Mm -hmm. That song can't be. Like you know, and just, you don't know what they do when they go home, you know? So it's, it's yeah. so important. And it was like, wow, I had no idea. And I was so lucky years ago I got to attend a show I mean much later than their prime but I saw them at Metro because they did this awesome show it was oh, a benefit it was a benefit show and I loved what they did they I mean that that would have sold out like I mean it, like like anything like in a minute and they did this thing where they raffled. So for $10, mm -hmm. you bought a raffle ticket. You could buy as many. You could buy one and get lucky, whatever. So I think I bought like three, so like 30 bucks. And then I got an email and they're like, oh, 
you know, you're in, you have a plus one, you know, you're going to Metro. <laughs> and I remember so awesome. just going to work. I was like, oh my God, I've seen the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> like the band that like literally was like my alternative self. And when I was little, it just, oh my God. And it, you would not know that they were, you know, um, in any way, like way past their prime. And they're still in their prime to me. Like they put on a two hour show. It was like crazy. And I was just like in my nineties heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the other like memory of the nineties or story, I mean, other than Gavin Rossdale being like my, you know, crush <laughs> of my lifetime then. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I found out Bush is coming here in February in Atlantic oh. city, but you I'm like, go. but I'm like, I gotta try and go. I gotta see, you know, I gotta do it. It's been like, I think I was a sophomore in high school last time I saw them, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go and see. Um, but I'm going to give it to, you know what? Corn, corn was my other <laughs> love. I know they were later, but they were still considered the nineties and I love Jonathan Davis. And I, was one of those kids that I don't know what it was about them. Uh, I didn't have a horrible home life. You know, I'm not saying you would have mm-hmm. had to have it, but it's just, I just, something about the aggressiveness and the lyrics just got me. And it's like, they are what got me into heavier music. And mm-hmm. they still like, I, I, it's just, it's crazy to me because I used to have, I had to hide my CD of theirs in my pillowcase because my parents, the parental advisory and oh, your, those parental advisories. <laughs> and your daughter, you know, like your daughter's listening to what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I would hide it. And I just remember one day my mom found it or whatever. And I came clean. It was like, look, you know what? I'm a good kid. You know, I, I, I just really like this. Something about this is speaking to me. I like it. Um, and of course they listened to it. And I remember just like their faces like this. Okay. But I'm like, ah, oh. but I remember what, you know, always stuck out to me. was like that. I always would think too, like, even now I think back, like if you were older, like if I was older too, during that time, like how the aggressive nature of them and how mm-hmm. that those shows had to be such an outlet for people, you know, that were going through a tough time, yeah. like to get in there, and the craziness, and you know, and Jonathan Davis has been so open about his own depression and how music's his antidepressant, and how music has the power to heal people and bring them together. And he's always been so like music is everything to him, and mm-hmm. you see that. But like it's like, I'm like, all right, you know it's, it's crazy. But I mean, I loved my other, like, you know, I liked the little bit pop music too, like Backstreet Boys were thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Too. So it's like, so weird. Like, okay, I liked, how do I like this? And then still like, you know, <laughs> Mandy Moore was thrown in there, you know, but it just, it fit. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I could go on, but what are some of your memories and things that stand out to you? Well, I mean, the 90s, Obviously, we're chock full of grunge and alternative music, but because I think 
we were so young, I was heavily gravitating towards pop music as well. And anything that was like cool on the radio. But I think <laughs> a song that's pretty funny that I still kind of like listen to and will sing at the top of my lungs is um, Hold On by Wilson Phillips. Oh my God, yes! <laughs> I just think it's a jam. It and, is. I mean, the lyrics literally say, hold on for one more day. Come on, that's so relatable. And you know you sing it too when it's on in the car. Like, I was just going to say, car, club, <laughs> restaurant, whatever. I Yes. <laughs> Grocery store, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, during the 90s, I like I said I was into pop music and the Backstreet Boys were like my thing I was obsessed I had the whole room decorated in Backstreet Boys stuff and you know that time was probably one of the most difficult times of my life because when I was 11 my uncle and my cousin died in a tragic house fire and there was yeah there was a lot of aspects of it that were sad um Mm -hmm just like things going on within the family and and how it happened. Um, And Mm -hmm. I won't go too much into that. Yeah. But um, we went from like planning a weekend at the zoo to like planning their funeral. Mm -hmm. So that was something that was difficult to kind of like work past especially being so young like you don't truly understand it that was the first time somebody that I loved actually passed away mm-hmm. and as stupid as that seems like me liking the Backstreet Boys was like my escape you know like that's yeah. when Millennium came out and I Want It That Way was like the biggest song in the world I would run home and watch PRL and both mm-hmm. like that's that was my little space of light when it was so dark for me at that time and you know just because it's pop music you don't know what somebody's going through mm-hmm. and um that still resonates with me now like I still see them <laughs> I still pay ridiculous amounts of money to see the Backstreet Boys in my 30s so I mean what what can you say about that <laughs> Yeah, and at that time too like I can look back and see like there was a change in myself and the types of music that I started to like and you know when you're in that spot and you're angry and you're looking for answers what better music to find than punk music you know Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) that that was kind of like where I started to transition and like, I remember seeing Green Day on Beavis and Butthead and being like, whoa, what is this? And yeah. This band. And, you know, falling into Green Day and um, No Doubt, the Offspring, Sublime, like, those were the bands that set the stage for how I got into music today. So I'm thankful for that because who knows, you know, if I didn't find that, and get myself out of those dark times, who knows what could have happened, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that says so much, and it's so true. Like, there's bands I still cling to or artists because of specific memories, and it's it's 
that comfort. I mean, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's, you have that comfort. Like I know, you know, we've touched on it in other episodes and they're not a nineties band, but follow up boy, like that's my comfort. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to talk about them again, everybody, but like it is the comfort. And it's like, you have that. And I'm just so glad like the Backstreet Boys still are around. So you can like still go see them and have that, you know, comfort and I mean that's gotta be just a fun feeling to see them live I've never seen them live I've seen them and I've (laughs) met them and they're stellar people incredibly nice um and I've had nothing but amazing memories seeing them live and like I remember um during the black and blue tour my dad surprised me with tickets to Mm -hmm. the Backstreet Boys and I like lost my mind and of course, like, they're like nosebleed tickets, but I still remember that show so vividly. And I, I'm pretty sure Brian Luttrell looked at me at one point, but, uh, oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> but he... it was, it was just a good fun time. That's, that's so awesome to hear that. Cause like Brian Luttrell, that was, that would be that he was my crush. Like if out of the boy <laughs> bands, like. For sure. So that's good to know. He's um, and good to know they're good people because that's always such. They always say, "Don't meet your heroes." But yeah. and well, I have to say I've had some not so nice experiences, but I've also had some only so many amazing experiences from so yeah. many people. Sure. Where it's like that's why like I take the chance and say hi, you know, except if they're with their family or eating or 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 a meet and greet, whatever I can do because yeah, like that connection is so awesome. Yeah, and sometimes um, the musicians, they need to hear it. Honestly, mm-hmm. like they, they need to hear that connection with their fans. But I mean, yeah. I don't think that we can finish an episode about the 90s with touching a little bit more on um, the amazing like female-driven music during that time. Um, I know that that was very heavily impactful in my life too. So are there any female-led musicians or bands that stick out to you during the 90s? Oh, yeah. I mean, number one is Gwen Stefani. I mean, oh yeah, she was the queen of the 90s. She's still the queen. And Forever she, queen. <laughs> she, like, and the thing is too, like, she just how she kind of, I mean, cause you know, she would be on those early warp tours or just tours in general, like probably be the only girl or one of the few girls, you know, and like commanded the stage and just, she was who she was. And even as she got older, like I loved, like she was the reason when I was in high school, I dyed my hair to be pink, like her return of Saturn. And I don't think a boy talked to me that whole year in high school, um, but I had awesome, amazing hair. So I think I know up for it. I wanted to be Gwen Stefani for sure. Oh, I, I love her. Absolutely. Like, still love her. I know. And that's the thing. I still do. And I, I like, I bought her makeup, like whatever, mm-hmm. even if it was like shitty, I bought it. Like, I don't care. Like it's Gwen <laughs> Stefani. Her name's on it. Okay. I'll buy it. You can't um, tell me tragic things and it's not like the most perfect album no and you know and like the thing is I think some people fell off even after tragic tragic kingdom but I'm Mm -hmm. like they had amazing records after that but tragic kingdom was like just as the kids say the goat it was the goat of that era (laughs) that uh, 
Thing these days. I guess. I guess. <laughs> um, and then another one has to be for me, Shirley Manson of Garbage. Like, again, I was a little young, but I was in love with Shirley Manson because she she was another one that just commanded the stage, was in this man's world, and mm-hmm. she advocated back then, and she does it now, where she says they know they probably, you know, garbage shouldn't get on some tours because of her being in the band. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guys in that scene were not about that. And, you know, she wasn't about the sexualization either. Like she was just herself. She was badass. And even at her age now, she is still advocating for women in music and yeah. record labels. And I'm like, yes. And seeing someone like that, even back then, and she's still doing it now being like, you know what? women deserve a seat at the table like okay I'm in like (laughs) I I will love her forever um Courtney Love I gotta have Courtney Love a poll (laughs) and just Courtney Love in general kind of has to it's part of the story right of the 90s I mean she and she was like the the grunge princess and like as much as she was problematic as some would say for sure at some (laughs) times she again seeing someone like that for me was like oh you can say what you want you can be who you are you can you know be a little uh messy at times but (laughs) um (laughs) you can be just yourself and command that energy um in the room and I loved that album celebrity skin so like I was all in on that and uh Mm -hmm. My last one, but like my favorite one is uh, Fiona Apple. And I had no business at my age listening (laughs) to her album title. I had no Mm -hmm. business watching the criminal video with her in the bathtub and those lyrics, but something about it caught me. And I think Mm -hmm. also, if I remember, my mom was a fan too, but um, Fiona Apple was just everything because once I saw her and it was like late 90s she was up for an MTV award and when she got up there she was kind of like you know this is all bullshit this isn't real (laughs) be you and be yourself and everybody like even MTV people thought she was kind of like crazy but she was probably the most like level-headed person in that room that wasn't conforming and was just being herself not really caring about the Grammys just made a record that was like phenomenal in the nineties, like people. And yet she was just like, yeah, I'm here, whatever. Like, I'll see how it is. And um, did not (laughs) care. Yeah. She probably had no expectations of any of that happening. And, you know, sometimes the music industry is so fickle. You never know. No. And that's, and hearing her be like that, I remember being like, Oh, I really like her. And then like, (laughs) I stuck with her and her, and, you know, she recently put out a record, uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, and it, it was like, it picked up where, like, where little Lisa was getting into her that had no business. Now, mm-hmm. this record was like, oh, for 30s Lisa, who had all the business listening to this record, and where she's like a song under the table where, you know, she's taken somewhere where, you know, she really didn't want to go. You know, and I think like, you know, whether it's a party or whatever, and, you know, mm-hmm. she's starting to say something and, you know, being, you know, 
basically saying like you can kick me under the table I'm not going to shut up and I'm like if that was not me I do not know (laughs) thank you Fiona you are still like (laughs) and it's we've all been there we've all been Mm -hmm. there as a whether it's a woman and you know you're you're maybe stuck at a party or a function and you're sitting there and you know you have something to say and I think that's the thing with all these women like that I listened to and saw I was like wow, like I can say what I want. I can not just sit in the back. And it, it's like totally who I am now in my thirties. Yeah. Like if I feel something or I have a, an opinion, I say it, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, I can't say that. Like, no, <laughs> I'm going to say it. And if I ruffle a couple feathers, I ruffle them. And I think it's just growing up seeing women be like that was like, yeah, you can be like that. You can dress however, you know, you can dye your hair pink and never go on a date, you know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but you can, but like, I'm interested for you, what were some of um, the women in music that really uh, impacted you? Well, we already talked about Gwen Stefani and that's a given. (laughs) I did get the chance to meet her when she was doing her Las Vegas residency and I did black out for part of it, but yeah. <laughs> I just remember, you know, having a conversation with her and just telling her how much she impacted me. Mm-hmm. And she was so humble and like loving and warm that I honestly was impressed. <laughs> I thought, you know, you do this meet and greet and you get ushered in, in like two seconds out of the room, but she right. actually let me bring my husband in there and we got to both take photos together with her and it was really just like an amazing experience so I will always love Gwen and she's always an inspiration to me but um going back to my 90s pop I don't think that the Spice Girls get enough credit for shaping a generation of females to believe in girl power (laughs) and they believe that they can do anything they want because of the Spice Girls and I think I just saw that it is the 25th anniversary of um, the movie Spice World. Oh my god I loved that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I actually I've been trying to find it on streaming but I can never find it so hopefully maybe they'll release it somewhere so I can watch it because I used to watch it on repeat all the time and they were actually my first concert ever was seeing wow. the Spice Girls so they were a force in the world they took over everything and you know kind of like what you were saying before when you go back and you listen to some of the songs like yeah. at 10 years old we had no. no business singing some of the lyrics that they had in no. their songs <laughs> but they definitely paved the way for artists like Lizzo or Taylor Swift to, yeah you know songs specifically from a, a female perspective but still radiate an element of power and, and I still love the Spice Girls and when they announce their reunion tour I'm going to go <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also say um, Alanis Morissette was somebody mm-hmm. that sticks out to me for the 90s I remember sitting in the park with one of my friends singing all the songs from Jagged Little Pill and that album is so like detailed and clear in its message um those songs I mean they hold up yeah when you hear you ought to know at the bar 
everybody's singing it. <laughs> so I think it's pretty safe to say that we were definitely shaped by like the music that we listened to in the 90s. But do you have any last minute thoughts before we wrap up the episode? Um, I guess I'm just going to say like, it's wild that I feel like the 90s, no matter what side you were on, whether you were more of the pop, the grunge, somewhere in the middle and, you know, um, in the industrial side of Nine Inch Nails or into the like the late 90s where Blink was really, you know, getting out there and Green Day was really like hitting their stride again. And it was just everywhere. I think the 90s had like this massive, like, you know, force of all these artists there are still so many of them still doing it today and it's mm-hmm. like I don't know if we've had another like really big decade of like of that like I wonder like our decade you know now that we're in now like what does our music sound like do we have these people like that are we're still talking about today yeah. like are we gonna still be talking about like these newer artists like a decade from now and these impacts like mm-hmm. I don't know and it's going to be interesting because I just feel like the sound now is all over the place and it's like I don't even know what our sound is but like that sound in the 90s was just like it was special and it was crazy and it's like it's it was so important you know because so many of the younger bands now like they'll look at and be like oh well you know Pearl Jam got me into this or Nirvana got me into this or, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to start a band and be a female singer because of Gwen Stefani, you know, like, and mm-hmm. I mean, while I think we have it, it just is, I don't, I don't know, maybe because when we were little and we grew up in it and then got older and could revisit it, but I just feel like it's such a special moment in music where like so much was going on. Well, I mean, 90s is kind of having a little resurgence with the TikTok world and some of those old songs coming back and becoming popular again. So maybe we'll see some some new inspiration of artists coming out now from that. Yeah, that would be cool. Because it's like, I, even revisiting for this episode, I was like, wow, oh yeah, like this, <laughs> you know, like obviously I love Third Eye Blind, but it's like, well, they were like huge, huge. Like if I was like a 20 something, like, you know, all these bands are like what I wouldn't give to be a young, an older person that was able to see Nirvana in their prime and like, just watch them. Like mm-hmm. how cool would that have been? And like experience that. Cause like, I never obviously did. And it's like, to see a band and like a front man like Kurt Cobain like like there are some artists today that I'm like wow I saw them but like that to me is like you know like I'll never see something like that and like the hold it had on people and just the massive like effect it had and it's yeah it's wild to look back at it all too I agree a hundred percent I guess time will tell, right? Yeah, <laughs> it will, but I I do. I mean, I just, now, like, I want to go listen to, like, my 90s playlist and, like, <laughs> what else, do, you know, what else did I miss? <laughs> I hope other people um, maybe will even, like, 
you know, comment and tell us like their favorites, you know, maybe someone we missed or, you know, something that um, we didn't think of. Cause it's always cool. Cause there was so much in the nineties too, that I'm sure there's so much that like, I'm not thinking of now. And if someone says like, Oh, what about this? Oh yeah, of course. Which would be really awesome. So let us know if there is anybody you thought of that we did not think of, because that would be really, really cool. Well, guys, we are so thankful for you for listening and joining on this journey. Please like, share, and subscribe everywhere you get your podcast. Also, don't forget to share your stories with us. We want to know how music has impacted you. We have some special guests lined up, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.